Okay, if you've got a Bible, could you turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 11? 1 Corinthians chapter 11, and we will get there at some point. Okay, what we're going to be looking at today, we're going to be looking at this topic of remembering. Remembering, I looked it up in the dictionary, remember means to bring to mind or to bring to awareness things that have happened in the past. And we like to remember significant events, it's something kind of we just seem to do. We do it on a national level as a country. Today is one of those days, Remembrance Sunday, we even call it that, where we like to remember things that have happened in the past, particularly today it's remembering uh, the end of two world wars and other wars that have gone on, remembering those who've fallen in that, and that's just part of life. But it's, it's more than just a national thing, we do it on personal levels. We remember things that have happened in our life. If you reflect back over the years of your life to date, you might remember some of these things that you've gone through. If you've maybe gone through a graduation, a finishing of school, a finishing of training, an ending of some kind of period of getting ready in your life. Maybe you remember starting a new job. Maybe it was your first job for the first time. When I went to work for the first time and I was suddenly getting paid for what I did. That was pretty amazing. You might remember moving into a new house or a flat or somewhere you were staying and there was a significant change there. You might remember getting married, having children, maybe even having grandchildren, depending on your age. And if you're a believer here, a follower of Jesus, you might reflect back on your life and remember significant things there. Number one being when you became a Christian, you got saved, you got converted, you made that commitment to turn away from your own way of life and follow Jesus Maybe you remember your baptism, where you kind of made that public declaration that this is what I'm going to do. I've become a believer, I'm going to get baptized. Or maybe you remember something that God said to you, something significant, that he called you to something, or he spoke about moving and going and being involved in certain things, ministry. And so there's lots of things that we can look back and remember in our lives. And, but the, the, the problem is with us is we're so busy... And we live our life so far forward, we get forgetful. Life crowds in, and often what we're thinking about and what we're trying to kind of remember just gets lost in the fuzz of what's happening now. 46 sleeps till Christmas. Do you know what I mean? This Christmas juggernaut is going to run us over, and sometimes looking back, you, just, you haven't got brain space. On top of work uh, and family and church and other things, you just haven't got time to it. So what we do is we, we often have events to mark things that we need to remember. One of the most common one is birthdays. Who's had a birthday this year? Who's going to have a birthday before the end of the year? That covers everybody. That covers everyone. Birthdays, we do that every year, don't we? We remember. This is when we started life and this is how far we've got through. Anniversaries is another thing. Remember, if you maybe your anniversary of um, your marriage, you know, how long you've been married, remember, and the, uh, the longer they go, the more impressive they get. If you get to golden wedding anniversary, you're doing really well. Um, and often what we can do is we can use physical items to help us remember. What's the one we're wearing today that's different? It's a poppy. It's a physical item to help us to rem- remind us. If we, if we got this, if you're wearing it, you see people around, oh, yeah, we're to remember something. And we do that all the time. The other one is the wedding ring. If you're married, most people tend to wear a wedding ring. When I first put one on, it felt dead weird. It suddenly, I felt lopsided for the first, I literally, it doesn't weigh very much, but when you've never worn one, I literally came out of my wedding day like this, like, what is, what is that? And they said, oh, now it's fine, but I, I still wear it. 
15 plus years on, but it's a reminder that when I say, oh yes, oh by the way, I'm married, yes, that's right, I have a wife somewhere, but we do that. When we go on holiday, which are usually, I'm not that forgetful really, I said that for, it was funny. Um, let's hope Mel, Mel's there, look, shh, she's there, shh. Um, anyway. Moving on. Sometimes when we go away, like on holiday, which can be significant events, we don't get away that often, as often as we like, often as we can afford. You often buy a souvenir of some of that. Who's got some of that tat in your house, like a tea towel or a, a, a plastic thing that you got contained onto the beach that says the name of the place you went? You know, we take souvenirs to remind us. We often take photos now. With our camera phones, you can take photos of everything and anything to remind us of events. I go on Facebook and people want to be reminded of what they had for lunch. Look what I had for lunch. And they take a picture and it becomes that, that memory, that memorial. And you think, really? But that's what we do. And the thing is, this is not a new concept. Remembering and doing things in the Bible. The Bible has a lot to say about remembering. It tells us repeatedly to remember. It, talks, it even talks about God remembering. Actually, if you read the Bible, it talks about God remembers. It actually says that God would remember his people. He remember his promises, his covenant he's made. So even God has that kind of is a remembering from God. But as God's people, they are told repeatedly to remember. In the Bible, if you read the Ten Commandments, they appear in Exodus chapter 20, where God initially gives the law to Moses. They're repeated later in Deuteronomy chapter 5, where God reminds them again. And it talks about the Sabbath, the day of rest. And actually, I don't know if you realize this, God gave the Sabbath to the people of Israel to remember. It says this in Deuteronomy 5. It says, you shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt. And the Lord your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God commands you to keep the Sabbath day. The reason they had the Sabbath was because they'd been slaves. They didn't get a day off. You work, when you're a slave, you have no choice. You work and you work and then you die. And that's it. And he's saying, I've given you a day off in your working week now. And that is to make you remember that you were once slaves. You are no longer slaves. You're a free people. Oh God, I have freed you. And I give you that as part of your working week now. Another thing they used to do in the Old Testament, if you read it, is they, they used to build altars, just piles of stones, to remember something significant. After the flood, Noah and the flood, when he came out of the ark, it said he built an altar to remember God's covenant to him. That he said he would save them and they wouldn't be destroyed when he brought judgment on the earth. Actually, he built an altar. Later, we have Abraham. In Genesis chapter 12, where, where God's presence had come to him, he had met the living God, and the God had said stuff to him, made promises to him, and to remember it, what did he do? He built an altar. So as, a, as a physical reminder, oh yeah, that, that, that points to something else. Later in uh, Exodus chapter 17, Moses and the people of Israel, there, there's a famous battle where they fight uh, Amalek, and God gives them victory in the battle, and at the end of it, Moses says they set up an altar to remind them that the victory God had given them in this battle and the deliverance of that. Interestingly, I'm reading through the book of Joshua today. Uh, in my personal time, I got to Joshua chapter 4 this morning. I read it. What's it about? The people of Israel crossing the River Jordan into the land God had promised them, the promised land. And it says, and God, God performed a miracle, and it basically said they, the priests took the Ark of the Covenant on their shoulders, and, they, and God commanded them, through Joshua, he said, go and stand in the middle of the river. And if you're a priest, you're like, really? The river is high season. There's lots of river. It's flooding. It's very deep. It's fast flowing. But it says, as soon as they put their foot in the water, the river parted. And they went and stood in the middle of the river on the riverbed. And the river got, part, got, got dammed up kind of that end. God held it. And this end, it just ran out. 
And he said, the nation of Israel, I'm going to cross it. Thousands of men armed for battle, plus all the kind of women and children. And they went across it. And he said, once they crossed it, God said to him, you take, Joshua, take stones out of the riverbed. So he sent 12 men, one from each tribe, pick up a stone. He said, carry it on your shoulder so it's not a pebble, stone. They brought it across the river and they set up a memorial that when you see it, it will remind you that God parted this river so the nation of Israel could come across. And then what happened was the the priests, when everyone had gone across, they stepped out of the river. And as soon as they stepped out of the river, it started running again. But it was a reminder of something amazing God had done. When we come into the New Testament, we are called to remember as the people of God. And what's the number one thing we're called to remember? The death and resurrection of Jesus. That's what it's all about. That's what it's all about. And Jesus actually gave two practices to us as believers to remember that. Two things to do to remind us to remember. Two institutions are often called. The first one's baptism. When you become a believer, when you decide to follow Jesus, turn away from your sin and say, actually, Jesus, you're now in charge of my life. I'm not. Jesus said, well, you get baptized. You get baptized, and that's a, that's a, what that means is it kind of, it's, a, it's a physical representation of what's happening. It says you go down in the water, spsh, that's your, that means you're dying to your old way of life, death. And then you rise out of the water, because they don't hold you down you very long. You are rising to new life in Christ. And that's, it's pointing to the death and resurrection of Jesus. And actually, we're kind of going through that same process with him, saying we, we are now going to live that new life. So number one is baptism. That's a, a one-off thing. And we had um, some baptisms over here, didn't we? Last term, we baptized four people. It was awesome in a hot tub. Brilliant. And then the next one is the bread and the wine, which we've got here. And we're going to be sharing this at the end of the meeting. And this is an ongoing thing that Jesus gave to his church. It's often called uh, the communion sometimes, or the Eucharist, which just means Thanksgiving, depending on which church background you come from. But it's all, it's all the same thing. And it points to, um, in the Gospels, the awful Gospels mention the Last Supper. Three of them particularly mention the bread and the wine. John doesn't, but it mentions the, the feet washing. And it's basically, Jesus gives this as a reminder to his people of his death and resurrection. And what Jesus' model was, he did it. Like he got baptized and said, now you get baptized. Matthew, I think it's Matthew 3 and then Matthew 28. He says, I've got baptized, now you do it. And then the same with this. He said that he, he went through the bread and the wine with his followers and then he says, now you do it yeah, with me. And it's done in the context of the meal. Now we're going to read our passage. You found um, 1 Corinthians chapter 11. I'm just going to read a few verses. So we'll start at verse 23. Now this is the Apostle Paul talking to the church in Corinth, their letter, and he's talking about this, um, this bread and the wine. Key on the words remembrance when they come up. It says, For I received from the Lord, that'd be Jesus, what I also delivered to you, the church, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread, and when he'd given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Okay, so Paul there talking to the church in Corinth about the the bread and the wine. Five quick things I want to just highlight from that passage about the bread and the wine. First one, it was from Jesus. Paul says, what I received from the Lord. Okay? This is not a divine suggestion. 
It's not a, well, if you've got time, this is a command from the Lord God himself. This is not a man-made thing that was thought up and thought, this would be nice. Why don't we do this? We quite like wine. Bread's pretty good too. So it'd be nice to have some bread and wine and maybe we'll add some cheese in later, but we won't talk about that. No, this is a command from God to his people. Similar to being baptized. It's not something, you know, it's not something you get to debate. Jesus said, do it. If you're a believer, you will do it. Second thing, it represents Jesus' body and blood. He's very clear about it. He says, bread, bread represents my body. The wine, it's red, represents my blood. It's clearly talking about his sacrificial death on the cross. We even have the language of it. When you, it talks about breaking the bread. Didn't use a knife. They broke it. They literally ripped it to share it. So they rip it up so they could all share it. And it's a picture of what happened to Jesus on the cross. He was beaten, broken, bloody, whipped, scourged by the Romans, pounded in the face by them, taken out nails in his heart, hands and kind of feet. He was broken, his body. And then you have the, the, the red, the blood. In that process, blood is shed. I don't know when the last time you had your blood shed cut yourself shaving or something, or you've got a nick, you get a little bit of blood. I don't know if you've ever seen when blood comes. You ever had that nosebleed where it's just like, get a ball in the face. That happens a lot at school when the kids don't duck. And there's just blood everywhere. That would be like with Jesus. There would have been blood and lots and lots of it. People tell us, kind of doctors, and say that the, the, the beating Jesus had, the scourging would have produced, made him lose so much blood that could alone could have killed him or killed a man. So Jesus would have been blooded. So very much the wine refers to the blood. It is symbolic in terms of this isn't actually Jesus' body. This isn't just his like, you know, forearm or anything. This is just bread and that is just wine. It's not actually, but it, it clearly points to Jesus' body and blood. Third thing, it is a way to help them remember Jesus' blood, uh, Jesus' death on the cross. The word comes up twice in the passage, isn't it? And Jesus gave it to the church to his followers, whose people says, this is something physical, tangible, you can get hold of so that you can remember. Jesus was fully aware of the power of forgetfulness. We're all forgetful people. We all forget things. Things just come to our mind. Life crowds in, and unless it's immediate and in front of us, it can just fall to the back of our mind and actually go out of mind. And sometimes we don't do it intentionally. It's not like, have you ever tried to intentionally forget? You, you can't, because you're thinking, I'm going to forget about that, but now you're thinking about it. Okay, I'll stop, but I'm going to forget. You can't. Forgetfulness is something just happens as things crowd in. And Jesus knew it, and he said, I will give you something that will stop you being forgetful, or help, because it will constantly remind you. And so he gave them this, and this, the bread and the wine, will help you remember Jesus' death on the cross. Fourth thing, it points towards a new covenant. Jesus actually used that word. This is my blood of the new covenant. Old covenant. Old Testament, old covenant, same thing. We have it in our Bible. The old covenant was, there's the problem. Man is sinful. They have offended a holy God. They've done a whole bunch of things wrong. There's things that they've done wrong. There's things they should have done right that they don't do. So they they fail on both those counts. And they cannot approach a holy God. A holy God is completely pure, completely righteous, completely perfect. You cannot get close to him. 
It all began in the garden, and it's been a problem ever since. God says, I want to do something about it because I'm a loving God, so I've got to deal with the fact that I love my people and I want them to come back to me, but I'm also holy, so they cannot stand in my presence. It would literally destroy them. So he says, right, we'll put in a system of sacrifices to atone for your sin because what you've done is evil and wrong, so someone needs to get punished for it. You can't just ignore wrong. We all know that. When wrong is done, we see stuff on the news. We talk about, hear about murders and rapes and terrorist attacks and horrible things. Our first reaction is, someone needs to be punished, the perpetrator. We all know that. And God knows that too. And he says, right, so someone's got to get punished. So animal sacrifices. And there were animal sacrifices. And constant animal sacrifice allowed the people of God to come into God's presence. And there was an elaborate thing of, of priests and rituals because God is so holy and we are so sinful to get to God. You have to do it and you have to be meticulous about it. And that was the old covenant. Then Jesus comes along and says, actually, I'm now going to fulfill that covenant, which was always the promise. Anyway, right from Genesis chapter 3, it says, there's going to be a fulfillment to this covenant. And Jesus comes along and what does John the Baptist say as soon as he sees Jesus? Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So Jesus comes up and John the Baptist has been praying the way says, he's here. And it's a strange thing to call him, a lamb. Because what happens to lambs? They get sacrificed. Jesus come and he is the sacrifice, the ultimate, the one that everything in the, New Te- the Old Testament, the Old Covenant has been pointing to. There's suddenly one sacrifice, once for all. That's why we don't do it anymore. That's why the church has never done it, because we've already had the one sacrifice, and Jesus was perfect. He was fully God, fully man. He lived a perfect life. So when he died, he took the punishment for all our sins, period. You didn't need to add anything to it. He's the one. That's why it's so important. That's why Christians are on a touch side morbid, because we talk, we talk about death a lot. Only Jesus' death, though. Because it means that through his death and resurrection, we can have our sins forgiven because they've been dealt with with Christ on the cross. We can know holiness. We can be saints. We can have a relationship with our loving Father. And Jesus said, this is to remind you of that covenant, a new covenant in my blood. Blood had to be shed, and it was mine. And I shed it so that you can have a relationship with your Holy Father. And this is going to point towards it. And the last thing is we are to do it regularly. Implied. He says, you proclaim this until the Lord's return. Has Jesus come back yet? No. no. Good answer there. Some of you weren't so sure. I'm mildly concerned. But Jesus, no, he hasn't. He hasn't come back. And so there should be a regularity to how often we do this. Let me explain how it works in this church. Every church is different and they all kind of manifest this in different ways and what they do. This is how we do it in real life church. We have life groups which meet every week. Uh, they're small groups, kind of 10, 12 people who meet in a home. We currently have five around the area, and it's a way for us to get to know each other a little bit better. And what we do is we have two, two weeks where we meet in these homes, in the small groups. There's five of them. And the third week, it's still life group, we come together, all the groups, to pray specifically into the things of the church and things that are going on. So it's on every week, two weeks in home, one week all together uh, where we pray. And in the two weeks when we're meeting kind of in the home, we have a, a, pro, a kind of... A, procedure we do we eat together so we always have food together one because we like food two food enables us to talk to each other it's a biblical image of fellowship and getting to know each other and it's amazing when you eat with people what you kind of you, you just 
barriers come down and you can just eat and chat and kind of get on. And the next part of our meeting is a specific chat bay where we talk about how we're doing, how we're doing with God, things going on in our lives. Sometimes it's specifically directed, like we're doing the Freedom in Christ course, then we give you some direction on that. But there's that time. And then finally, we always end with prayer. So we're praying for one another. We're praying things to the church. So if you go to a life group meeting, you're going to get fed. Someone's going to talk to you and someone's going to pray with you and you get to pray. That's a good deal, isn't it? on a midweek evening. So that's what we do. But in that context, we want um, the life groups to be sharing bread and wine. That's where we do it mainly. The reason being is because it's over a context of a meal. Guess where Jesus first did it? Context of a meal. How many people were with him when he did it? Disciples, kind of 11. One had gone off. So it's about the same sort of size. So we, that's what we say. Life group leaders, do it regularly. Do it there. I mean, I'd be happy if you did it every time you met. I really wouldn't mind, but it's not the end of the world if you miss one. But that's where we do it. So that's where we have it. This is a bit unusual, but it's good to do it on a Sunday, uh, and we like to do it. So there is, should be a regularity. If you're part of the church here, we're regularly taking bread and wine. Okay, let me wrap up. Three things I want us to point, application points, to this whole thing about remembering. Number one, remembrance keeps us mindful of the past. Remembering keeps us mindful of the past. Life is busy and life is always moving forward. It is relentless. To actually stop and think and process and remember is hard work because you have to kind of literally stop, put the brakes on, give yourself some time. But what we can do with this when we share bread and wine, it helps us do that. Stop and remember the past. And as believers, number one thing that we remember is Jesus' life, death and resurrection. That's what we should be mindful of. That should be the thing when we stop that we should think about. Jesus Christ is the most important person in history ever. His life far exceeds everyone's life in significance of what he did. He was fully God, fully man, came to earth, lived the perfect life, the perfect dead. His teaching transcends human wisdom and has kind of lasted down the centuries and will last into eternity. That's what we do. And the bread and wine helps us to remember that. As believers, as we remember the Jesus' um, death and resurrection of the cross, we should also be mindful of our own past, our salvation. For some of you, that was recent in the last months, years. Some of you, somewhat longer, decades. But it's still that significant event. And on your walk with Jesus, there'll be other significant events. Baptism, things God said, you know, dynamic encounters, God, you know, significant ways he's moved, prayers he's answered, etc., etc. And what I'd want to suggest to you today is to take a moment to remember. You can do it now, even as I'm talking. You can do it as we share bread and wine later. You can do it when you kind of in your own personal time, where you kind of, you know, you can take your journal or whatever you have and just remember some of the things God has done and to be mindful of that and not to let the busyness of life and everything else just crush you and you don't get a chance to actually reflect back on the amazing things God has done in your life today. If you're not a believer here, If you're not a believer here, maybe there's a moment now. Maybe there's a moment now when God wants to come and talk to you. When Jesus wants to come and get to know you. And if that's the case, I'd love to talk to you at the end. But actually, maybe this is an opportunity for you to turn from your sin and come and know Jesus as Lord. Second thing, remembrance keeps keeps us thankful of the present. Jesus didn't just die and rise again. He is alive now. He is ruling and reigning now. He is sitting on a throne holding all of time and space together. It says in there, everything is created through him and he holds it all together. 
right here, right now. So God is active now. And the things that he achieved on the cross 2,000 years ago are active in our life now. Hands up who's been here for the Freedom in Christ course. Good. We had the, um, in the course booklets, there were those lists of things we asked you to read out. There was three lists over a few weeks of truth from the Bible that God had achieved in your life. They're great lists to go back to in the presence and say, this is true for me now because what have God done in the past? And it's something I can be thankful for now because of what God has done. I read one of the lists this morning. I went back for the first one, the, um, the I am one. And it was great. I'm a saint. <sighs> I am chosen by my Father. I am dearly loved. All these things. I was reading now thinking, that is amazing. And that is true now, right here, right now. And as believers, we can enjoy the benefits of it now. You have direct access to your Father in heaven. Now, you don't need a priest. You don't need a sacrifice. You don't even have to go to a special place at a special time and do something special. You can just do it now. You can talk to him, and that is amazing. God's Holy Spirit dwells in you. If you come in this morning and thinking, do you know what, I've just had the worst week ever because I've done this and I said that and I thought that, you can find forgiveness now. You are righteous before a holy God and you can just get that stuff dealt with and you can have that restored relationship. If you feel overwhelmed, do you know what, the pressure of life is just getting to me because I've got pressures at work here, I've got pressures with children, I've got pressures with kind of family, I've just got pressures of health in my body or just whatever it is. You can know peace and God's intervention now. You can be thankful now. He's working with you now. If you need God to speak into a situation, thinking, I just don't know what to do, God is active and wanting to speak to you right now. If you just need fellowship and love and to hang out with the members of the church, that's what we're there for. Life groups are there. We're here. We can love you. And then we can join that now. And so application for you guys if you haven't got the freedom in christ workbook grab hold of it start reading those things out again don't let don't let that just become something of the past so i did that once let it fuel you now we're going to be worshiping a minute give yourself to worship and be thankful for all the things god has achieved in the past that are active in your life right now and when we've taken the bread and wine together there'll be opportunity just to pray for one another and whatever's on your heart you can pray for people you can receive prayer it doesn't matter but we can enjoy what God is doing right here, right now in our life. Last one. We've had the past, we've had the present. What do you think the next one's about? Future. Remembrance keeps us hopeful of the future. He's coming back. He is coming back. How do I know it? Because he said so. And he has yet to let me down on anything he's ever said. He's coming back. And that is good news. This life is not all there is. This life is not all there is. This life is just a... It's, it's a nothing compared to eternity. It says, I'm sure it's in, one, in the Old Testament, it talks about our life being like the dew that comes on the grass in the morning and is gone in the morning. You know, have a hot day when the dew comes on the grass, it's wet, and then suddenly it's gone because the sun's just come and just burnt it away. That's what your life is like compared to eternity. This is not all there is. And the reality is, good news, you're all going to (laughs) die. You are. You're all going to die. Everyone in this building, from the oldest to the youngest, you're all going to die. And guess what? I reckon for most of you it's not going to happen when you think. For most of you it won't happen when you think it is. I've got plans. I know when I'm going to die. Makes God laugh sometimes. But, you know, it's probably not going to happen when you think. And that is a reality. There is going to be life after this. 
And we need to be thinking about this. There is a day coming where there will be no more suffering and no more tears and no more sickness and no more death. There will be no more pain and no more oppression and no more separation. There will be no more injustice and all wrongs will be righted. There is a day coming where there will be no more striving, there will be no more trying and there will be no more failure. There is a day coming when every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Whether it's willingly or unwillingly, it will happen. And we stand and, and, and the, the, we get mocked in the media and social media and online and they say all sorts of things. But the, he's coming back. And we have a hope that is steadfast based in historical fact, transformed lives, a ton of circumstantial evidence and that one day he will come back and he will wrap this world up and it will be thrown out like a garment, it says, like an old, you know, old shirt that's, just, that's worn out. And it will be renewed. And there will be a new heaven and a new earth. And all history is heading to that point. And I don't know if you ever thought about this. There was a point, it says, that God that the Father has ordained when Christ will return. And it's set and no one knows it. So anyone who tells you they do, they're lying. No one knows it. And history is accelerating in this direction. And every second and every day that passes, we get closer to that day. Because every moment, we're getting closer. We're closer. So everything that happens in your life, we are closer today than we were tomorrow to Christ returning. I don't know when it is, but I know I'm a stay closer. And if I die today, then I'm a lot closer than you. But, <laughs> but we're all going, and that's going to happen. And so my challenge to you today is... Are you living your life now in light of what's coming? Are the decisions you're making now, are they affected by what's coming, our future hope? Take a look at your life. Take a look at your money. What do you spend it on? Two of the biggest ways to tell what people's priorities are, look at their bank account, look at their diary. What they spend their time and their money on, that will show you their priorities. And my question to you today is, what are you spending them on? Are you spending on things that really matter? Is God dropping things into you now, into your heart, that you think, actually, I need to adjust some of these things? Are you spending too long with one thing and not with the other? What are you prioritizing? I know, I know life goes through kind of peaks and troughs and different pressures at different times. I'm aware of that. But my challenge to you is, men here today, where are you leading your families? You're the head of your household, and God will call you to account for your household. You're not responsible in some of the things they do in that sense, but you're responsible for the direction of where your household is leading. And you might say, I haven't got a household. Well, we'll start with you. You've got a household of one. (laughs) If you're married, you add. If you add kids, there's another thing. Where are you leading your families? I encourage you to take time to think and look about that. All right, we're going to share bread and wine. Do you want to stand up? Can the band come back up too, please? All right. What we're going to do, in a moment we're going to sing. We're going to sing a song. And then after that, I'll encourage you to come forward um, to take bread and the wine. The way um, we work here is we'll do it quite informally. I'll ask in a moment a bunch of guys to come and help me out with that, which will be great. If you're a believer here, you are welcome to come and share bread and wine with us. Even if you think, I'm not a member of this church, maybe I've just been visiting. First time, it doesn't matter. If you're not a believer here, we ask you not to do it. The reason being is this. My wedding ring on my finger means the world to me. To you, it means nothing. It's just a piece of 
metal. You might get a bit of money if you sold it. Bread and wine's like that. If you're a believer, it means the world to you. If you're not, it's just bread and it's just wine. So if that's you, we just say, don't bother. If you are a believer, it means everything to you because it's Jesus' death and resurrection. So you are welcome to come and join us and partake in that. What we'll do is we're going to sing now. And at the end of that, I'll ask some guys to come and help me share it. And I'll kind of give a sort of explanation of how we're going to do that. So let me just pray and we're going to worship. Lord Jesus, we want to thank you that you came to earth as a man. Lord, we thank you that you lived the perfect life. Lord, we thank you that you saw us lost and dead in our sin. And as we sang earlier, you made a way. Lord Jesus, we thank you for that. Where there was no way, you made it, Lord God. And we thank you for the privilege we have now of standing in your presence, saying, worshipping you, knowing we've been saved, we've been clothed with your righteousness. It's nothing to do with us, our good works. It's all you. But we thank you for that, God. And we thank you for a future that is secure. We thank you for a future that we are heading, that we will one day be with you forever. Lord God, we want to say we love you, we praise you. And God's people said, Amen. Amen. Amen.